Hello, hello. Welcome to the Find Your Tove podcast. I'm Dr. Henry Graff. This is episode 21, Table. That's what I'm calling it because it's the third in a little arc we're doing, looking at a through line in the Bible of tree, silence, table. Episode 19 was tree. Episode 20 was silence. This is episode 21, table. And the three elements weave through the entire Bible. And when we're talking table, there's something really interesting that happens here. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about synchronicity. That is, things that happen together yesterday in real time. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. Now, the fact is, you'll be listening to this. I think it comes out December 6th. will be two weeks until Christmas. But in real time, Thanksgiving was yesterday, and that's why I wanted to be in this table vibe. Thanksgiving is this time you gather around table. In my family, the tradition is we get up and we watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. But for the first time, we live in the central time zone, and our daughter Caitlin lives in the eastern time zone, and we didn't realize they delay the Thanksgiving Day Parade. If you look at the really small print, you see it's delayed, and it starts at 9 a.m. no matter where you are. We live in this world where some things happen at the same time. Synchronous, like synchronous swimming. Everybody's moving and happening in the same way. And then there's these things that are asynchronous. Social media, totally asynchronous. Somebody can make a post. You could not read that post for minutes or hours or days. And when you read it, in your mind, it's happening in real time, but it could have happened a while ago. I've realized that podcasting is a very asynchronous thing. I'm recording this one day, and it's being released days, weeks later. Oh, it's interesting. But the table, the table is one of those moments where real people gather in a real place and do this real thing. They share the thing that sustains life. There are so many traditions around the table. There's things that families do. There's things that tribes do. In Psalm 23, one of the most well-known psalms, there's this line, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup overflows. The cup is one of those things that just happens at a table. People eat and they drink. There's a mandorla there. There's an overlap. You are what you eat. When you eat physical food, it transforms you and you transform it. And that's why there's so much symbolism that grows up around it. But in this psalm, it's hinting at this fascinating thing. And when we see that table is a through line in the Bible, it gets even more fascinating. There was a tradition. When someone would come to your table, the first thing you would do is you would fill up their cup. You would fill it to the brim saying, you are welcome at my table. I love this. It's a tradition that we've picked up in our house. If you come to our house, one of the first things I will do is offer you a drink. Why? Because I want you to know that you're welcome, not just at my table, but in my life. That's this ancient Hebrew tradition that we share life together when we share food together. I don't know about you, but my guess is you've had that friend 
a friend that comes to table, a friend that hangs out at your table. As the party rolls on, as the dinner rolls on, it's time to wrap up and some of your friends leave, some of the guests leave the table, some people leave the party, and it gets down to the two or three people that are left. Every now and again, you have that person who doesn't realize the dinner's over and they overstay their welcome. Oh, if you've ever had this, it's so hard if you're hosting to let people know when it's time to leave. In the ancient Hebrew world, they used the cup for that. They used the meal itself. If you were throwing a party, if you were throwing a dinner, you would make sure you kept the guest's cup filled to the brim because as long as their cup was filled, they would know they were welcome at the table. Then, as the meal died down, if you wanted to give them the hint that it was time to leave, you'd fill the cup up halfway. You wouldn't leave it empty because that would say, hey, you're not welcome at all. You'd fill it halfway full, giving them the hint, hey, when this glass is over, it's time to go home. That was the culture, the symbol of the day, and everybody knew it. No one wanted to overstay their welcome. But there's this fascinating line in Psalm 23, a psalm that's usually reserved for funerals because it opens with that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then it goes to this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup overflows. The thing this psalm is getting to is that when we are at God's table, we are welcome, not just until the cup runs over. It's not just a half-filled cup. The cup is running over saying, when we are at God's table, when we are sharing life with God, we are welcome now and forever. The cup, the table, holds this important significance, and it's a through line in the Bible. When the creation story opens, table is there, and when the story ends, table is there, and table shows up like a woven thread through the whole thing. It shows up often and gives us this message. The way that it happens at Advent, at Christmas time, is just phenomenal. So let me give you a little recap. The creation poem starts that way. Remember, in the beginning, God, silence. Silence is that time where it used to be one way, and now it's a different way. Silence. And then we're invited to a table. The first thing God tells people is eat, eat, eat. Why? Because everything is tov. Everything is made to multiply. There is more than enough. You have silence and you have table and you have tree. The tree of knowledge of tov and ra. The tree that we need to know about that there's some things that can multiply so much and in such a way they keep others from finding and living tov. We've all experienced that because Adam and Eve ate of that tree. They put that tree at the table. Whenever we're at the table... We need to realize that there's certain boundaries, both there's things that we embrace and there's places where we shouldn't go, where we can't go and remain healthy and vibrant and tove. The whole story starts off with silence, tree, table. That's in Genesis in the Bible. If you flip to the back side of the Bible, Revelation, it has that same theme, silence, tree, table. The Bible ends after the seventh seal is open. There's 30 minutes of silence. 
because there was a way that it was, and now there's a way that it is. And then there's this table, this feast, and there's the tree, the tree of life, the tree that says you are going to eat of this fruit and live forever. So the Bible starts and ends with silence, table, tree. There really is something to think about there. Who are you sharing table with? Who is speaking into your life? Who are you feasting on? How are you doing that table fellowship? When you go to table, are you sharing table with people who speak truth into your life that remind you that the divine creator of the entire universe welcomes you at the table? Do you have people speaking that truth into your life that you're feasting on the fact that you are loved, that you are wanted, that you were put here with certain skills and talents. I call them tov, your unique of its kind purpose, that thing that if you don't do, part of creation is left undone. What are the messages that you're hearing at table? Are you hearing that you are welcome? This is where the story gets very interesting. When we look at the bookends, we see everything starts and ends with silence, tree, table. When we look at Jesus' life, it's bookended the same way with silence, tree, and table. We look at Holy Week, that last week of Jesus' life, the last couple days of Jesus' life. That's what happens. The last thing Jesus does is he eats a meal with his disciples, a meal where he takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. That when we go to that special table, sometimes it's called communion, sometimes it's called Eucharist, sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper, we feast on Jesus' very body and we drink of Jesus' blood because Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Remember, Remember the cup that we talked about earlier, that because of Jesus' blood, we are welcome at the table forever. Okay, true confession, and you'll all get this, and I don't believe I used to do this, but man, when I was in college, um, I was in an acting group, and we did theater, and we did improv, and we realized that if we'd go out to eat really, really late at night, and one of the guys at the end of the meal, would take the hand of one of the women and kneel and just whisper some things. The entire restaurant would go silent. And then if the woman said the word yes and cried and they hugged, everyone would make assumptions and we'd get free dessert. Is that not horrible? Oh my, I don't believe we did that. We faked proposals at restaurants to get free desserts. But that's because in America, the way somebody proposes is they buy the ring, they get down on their knee, and they whisper something ending with, will you marry me? And then the person says yes, and they hug, and everybody's excited and joyful because marriage is this sacred, special thing where two become one. In Jesus' day, they didn't go buy a ring. In Jesus' day, what would happen is the groom would fill a cup. He'd fill up the cup, and he'd hold it out to his bride-to-be, and he'd say, I offer you my life 
poured out for you. If the woman wanted to marry the man, she would take the cup and drink it, saying, I take your life and I give you my life as well. When we look at communion, there are so many layers to it. It's deep and it's nuanced. And sometimes people argue over the meaning of these things because they're so important and they're so sacred. What we can't do is miss the layers that one of the things, one of the many things Jesus is doing at this last meal is he's saying to his disciples, will you be mine? I offer you my life. And they're saying, we take your life. We offer you ours in return. Communion, well, you hear it even in the name. It's this common union. It's the two becoming one at the most literal level. You are what you eat. And when Jesus says, take and eat, this is my body, we are consuming salvation. We are consuming forgiveness. Aho. That, that's the last table. That's how it all ends. Table, silence, tree. As we're looking at these through lines, it's become fascinating how those three things show up at Jesus' birth. We see clearly how they show up at the end of its life, but at his birth, it gets a little bit interesting. We see that tree was added on later, the Christmas tree, and that it's included in the narrative of the wise men coming. That's why there's the star on the top of the tree, because those wise men followed the star from the east and ended up in Bethlehem. We see how tree shows up at the birth narrative, saying that there is a light in the middle of the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And because of that light, we live Tove, and it expands that it's not just one people group, but that because of Jesus, all people groups are invited in, that none of us can quite measure up, but because of Jesus, we're all included in the community. We see the silence of Christmas, how it shows up in silent night, a silent night because there was a way that it was before God became person, before God became man, and there's a way that it is after. We remember those silent nights of sadness, of mourning. We've talked about silence, and we've talked about tree, but where is there a table? In communion, we hear about Jesus being both the host of the meal and the meal itself. And when the narrative starts, when Jesus is born into the world, the first thing you realize is he's not welcome at the table. Now, as we look at the Christmas story, there's two tables that I want to talk about just a little bit. The first one is the fact that Joseph and Mary, well, they weren't welcome at the table. If you've heard the story, we hear often that there was no room for them in the inn. And that's not really the right way to translate it, because back in Jesus' day, there weren't inns. 
In case you don't know the story, a census had gone out and Joseph and Mary had to go to Joseph's boyhood home, to Bethlehem, because this census was being taken. Now, when that happened, when people would travel in the ancient world, there weren't inns, there weren't places they could pay and stay. People stayed with relatives. Maybe they were extended relatives. Maybe it was a second cousin or a niece or a nephew, but they'd stay in their family homes. Sometimes these homes got packed. There's records that an oikos, an extended family, might be 20, 30 people. So we understand that it was packed, but think through it logically. If it's Thanksgiving and you have people, you have them stay at your house, maybe it means an air mattress on the floor, maybe it means a guest room, but you pack them in. Now, important thing to remember is this was a shame and honor culture. There were morals, there were mores, there were things that you'd do and things you wouldn't do, and you wouldn't want to bring shame on your family. One way you'd bring shame on your family was actually not showing hospitality. If there was a relative that came through, even if they were an extended relative, you kept them in your house because hospitality was a way to bring honor to your family. However, getting pregnant and not being married, that was a way to bring shame on your family. Joseph and Mary were engaged, but they weren't married yet. Up in Nazareth, where they were from, this caused all kinds of problems in the family. When they got to Bethlehem, there was still a problem. Mary was pregnant at this point, eight, nine months pregnant, very pregnant, but they weren't married. So what do you do? They're in this weird situation. Normally, if a married couple came and they were pregnant, they would get the room of honor. You would kick Uncle Herschel out of the guest room, make him sleep on the air mattress in the floor, and give them the comfortable room. She was pregnant after all. They couldn't not show hospitality, but they still needed to shame the family and say, this behavior, this getting pregnant outside of marriage, it's not acceptable. And so what did they do? They still showed hospitality to Joseph and Mary, but as a way to shame them, they put them in the manger. They gave them the cave. Joseph and Mary were in the cave where the animals came, and that's where they stayed. So the first thing to realize in the Christmas narrative is Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus, they weren't fully welcome at the table. Yes, this was thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago. But if we're honest, there's still people today that are welcome at the table. There's the in-crowd There's the cool kids table, and there's the people that aren't welcome at the table. My guess, actually it's not even a guess, I know this is the way for people. We've all had those moments. We've had those moments where we got to sit at the cool kids table, and we've also had those moments where we're not welcome at the table. For whatever reason. Even our language talks about that. Do you have a seat at the table? Do you keep your seat at the table? When we're talking about the incarnation, when we're talking about God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, it's huge that one of the first things that Jesus experiences is not being welcome at the table. When we talked about sadness and silence, Last episode, realize that when God became flesh and dwelt among us, this wasn't an abstract pretend thing. God came into a world where he wasn't welcome at the table. That's a literal metaphor 
Jesus really wasn't welcome at his family table. And it represents all of us that all of us who aren't welcome at a table can know that God stands in solidarity with us. I can't help but think that somebody listening out there has had a rough year. You feel alone. Maybe it's because of something you did. Maybe it's because of something that was done to you, but you don't feel welcome at the table. Know that an important, huge point of the Christmas story is you have a God who sits at the table with you in solidarity, having been rejected from the table. You are loved. You are accepted. That psalm that God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies and your cup overflows is fleshed out in the Christmas story. And my guess is you've heard this part before, but I want to connect one more table dot. If you've heard the song, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed, realize what the manger is. Remember, Jesus was born in a barn. (laughs) Which still makes me laugh, because when I was growing up, if we'd leave a door open, somebody would say, were you born in a barn? (laughs) Once I became a pastor, I wondered, what would have happened if I would have said, no, I'm not Jesus? For some reason, that's always been a funny joke for me. But realize, the sign to the shepherd is they'd find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. If you don't know what a manger is, a manger is the feed trough for animals. Don't miss this. This was the table for animals, where animals would go and eat. When we go to Jerusalem, we've got a few more spots left for the trip in May. It is filling up, but in May, a group of us is going to go to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to Galilee. We're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. If you want more information on that, if you're looking for a Christmas present, oh, that would be amazing. Just go to findyourtove.com slash F-O-J. That's Footsteps of Jesus. But when we go, one of the things that people say is they go, I never realized that it was made of stone. In the caves, the mangers weren't made of wood like we see in our Christmas pageants. They were made out of stone, and they look so much like an American table. Let me connect that dot. It was a table for animals. Remember the last thing Jesus does in his life is he says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. We feast on Jesus. The first thing that happened to Jesus is he was laid on a table. As a baby, he was laid on a table that was used for animals. And how often do we people in our fallen nature, we act a lot more animalistic than we should. Benjamin Franklin said, the problem with common sense is it's not all that common. We don't even act to our own standard often. And so we need to feast on something bigger than us. We need to feast on a God who gave his life for us. And somehow, mandorlically, we, in in eating Jesus' flesh, in drinking his blood, we become like Jesus, forgiven, In feasting on Jesus, somehow our sins are washed away. We're made whole again. And so as we've looked at these three through lines, silence, table, tree, 
I hope that you see how those three are woven in your life. I hope that you find your tove a little more each day. And I hope at this time of Christmas, you are filled with grace and peace.